welcome to The Parent Panel, a weekly podcast where we get one mum and one dad to talk about the events and news of the week, sharing their unique parenting insight. Today, we're talking about living in lockdown with children, whether men suffer relationship-generated disadvantage, mummy wine time, and fun stuff with kids that are actually super stressful. I do a massive job keeping them alive. I'm not going to climb up that slide and go down that slide and ruin my pants. Two nights ago, my daughter punched me in the face for a laugh. And then I just, I just, I spent the next half an hour making her feel better about punching me in the face. My wife and I have this great saying with each other, and that is, the days are long, but the years are short. The Parent Panel with Siobhan Hunt. Annalise Dent is our mum. She's a writer, broadcaster, mum of two kids, age five and almost eight. Yes. Correct, Mundo. And our dad is marriage celebrant, Chris North. He has three children, two boys and one girl, 11, 13 and 15? 16. 16. Oh, sweet 16. 16, 15 and 12. Get this. I've, I've been doing my research on my own kids. <laughs> I'm glad you finally know their age. Did you say 16, 15 and 12? Yeah, so 16, 15 and 12. So the third... The, Two eldest are 18 oh, hang months on. apart. 16, 14 and 12. Oh, oh see, he never gets it right. Oh, no. I was just thinking never. that, could, that right. could have been right, though. When they're 18 months apart, there's That's always right. a period where it's like, oh, we're only a year apart. No, hold on a second. We're yeah. two years apart. Yeah, I don't get it half no. the time. And birthdays, they they... The hilarious part is when I'm filling in forms and stuff for them. Oh. They do. They, they look at me like like the boys were going to a. We, like we did an application for a school for the youngest for year seven, and when we were doing the application, I was there in the reception of the school doing the application, and he knew because I looked at him and and, I, and he went, "16th of October," and I went, "Thank you." <laughs> I was at what year? Two thousand and seven. I can't that. You say, that's why I'm married to your mother. <laughs> so she great. remembers. All right, well, let's get cracking. First up today, coronavirus lockdown with children. I got cabin fever. I've got the two. Cabin fever. I got cabin fever. It's burning in my brain. I got the cabin fever. It's driving me insane. We got cabin fever. We're flipping our bandanas. Been stuck at sea so long that we have simply gone bananas. I've got to say, Chris North, your, um, what was that? Samba? Samba. Something going da- on it there. It was Dancing with the Stars. Material. Material, yeah. If anyone no, needs another contestant. <laughs> I'm glad there's no cameras on. <laughs> I wish I had a camera. <laughs> All right, so that was actually from uh, the Muppets Treasure Island. If you haven't seen it, the clip itself is worth a watch. Well, as the coverage of uh, COVID-19 continues, the thought that's challenging parents everywhere is... What do you do in quarantine for two weeks with your children? Um, I was looking on Instagram, sort of looking around, seeing if anyone had posted about this. There's actually an Instagram account that's called Quarantine with Six Children. And they were on a cruise ship stuck in one room with six children. I think the eldest was maybe 13 and the youngest was one. In one, one room? In one room. I'm so looking up that Instagram account. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. I feel like doing it now. <laughs> Can we take a break? <laughs> 
Darren Levin, the writer Darren Levin, was um, thinking about that this week. And he writes, like most people with a house purchased after 1985, our fake grass garden is the size of a postage stamp. So the idea of a potential quarantine for COVID-19 without the usual play centre bailout feels less like an opportunity to bond with my kids and more like a new form of torture. Annalise... Let's say you've been quarantined for 14 days with your children. How do you survive? And so this is so this scenario is that we're sick. We've got one of us has COVID-19 because that's the, yes. that's the scenario, well, isn't it? Well, yes, but you could also suspect. You know some people are self-quarantining. Oh no, now. I wouldn't do that, please. No, no you have, just Have we met? <laughs> no way I would do that. Sorry, Voluntarily I'm just... I am not doing this. Coffee. I just say. Okay, the police have locked your door. Yes. Uh, I would definitely struggle. I've got boys that fight constantly and they need time out of the house and time away from each other and I need time away from them if I'm being perfectly honest mm. so if we're all functioning as a maybe you could family. build like a chicken run outside your house or something and just get them to do laps I, I don't know what I, I mean I, I would hope honestly that, that they were sick so that they were subdued <laughs> like that would be in this ideal scenario it wouldn't be me being sick it would be them and I'd look after them and they'd be subdued in front of an iPad You'd yes. want some Panadol because I don't know. I went to Chemist Warehouse last night. There was nothing. There was no children's Panadol, <gasps> no children's yes. Nurofen. Oh, yeah, no. the people have gone on the panic. The panic. But do you know what is, is? I'm really. I would be relieved about is that I bought a big box of toilet paper, so we'd be fine. Right. That would get us. <laughs> You've got it all. We've got it all. <laughs> I've always thought. I've always oh. said to somebody, if you really hate me, you'd buy me a cruise. For yeah. a present. If you really hate me, I, that's what you'd get cruise, me for a present. Cruise ships aren't really my cup of tea. And mm. the thought of being contained <sighs> in an area, not being able to go anywhere, is my worst nightmare. Even get, your own home? Yeah. It gets worse. <laughs> if, if it was my own home, <laughs> I couldn't think. Really? Because whenever you speak about your house, I imagine everyone peacefully sitting around reading Star Wars trilogies and yes. everyone would have, you'd have Playing like, Monopoly. A, you'd have book week and readathons, like, because your kids seem really self-sufficient mm. and like really great and, and they all the time. And they'd, yeah, they don't do tech and they'd be playing board games. I'm not worried about charades. them. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. Don't you reckon the North household would be fine? Listen, yeah. we're not Amish, okay? Just, <laughs> just, okay? just before we get there. Really? Oh, but you know something? I, I, uh, I'm not worried about them. I'm worried about me. Yes, I'm that's the one. Who, I was, uh, I was I'm selfishly worried about myself. Absolutely, too. I would think I'd go criminally insane. Yeah. I couldn't think of anything worse than being stuck in that house with them the whole time. Oh, I love you. I love you. You're my own flesh and blood. Yeah. But really. 45 minutes. We're done. You're out in the minutes. world. Go get... Let's, we know children are, are more robust with this virus anyway. In, in yeah, exactly. That's in why a, I wish it on them, not me. Mm. In Australia, they have a... bad if my kids got it and now it's actually on record <laughs> me wishing it on them. <laughs> Up next, is it fair to claim a loss of income during divorce proceedings? <laughs> This week, Angela Mollard wrote about a case in the UK where a woman was granted $780,000 compensation for what the judge called relationship-generated disadvantage. Basically, during her marriage, she opted out of a well-paid job as a lawyer to look after the kids. And Angela said that this, she, her argument was this is perplexing because she says in this day and age, we can all negotiate what role we will have in our relationship. That is, she's saying the wife could have said she wanted to work because maybe her partner 
wanted to spend more time with the kids. And Angela says, look, this is something to be negotiated and agreed under your own roof, not something that judges should rule on. Chris, do you agree with Angela that relationship-generated disadvantage should not be considered in divorce proceedings? No comment. <laughs> <laughs> I just I, this go is on, a, Chris, no, come, come on. on. I'm in a room. Be with, brave. With I've got three women within you know five meters of me. So there's two here and one mm-hmm. in the studio recording. That's why we've got you. You're our token male. Give yeah. us your token Game male on. response. Oh, <laughs> see, yeah. Look at this. Look at this. <laughs> if I say anything, I'm done for. There are almost lasers. Okay, can, out I, of can I can I just eyes. say like if we take gender aside, so it, mm. it doesn't matter because think about same sex marriages. Yes. If we take gender out of the equation, mm. if one person, if both both people are in really good money, one person takes a step back to look after children, yeah. they have suffered career income loss. They have suffered job advancement. They also don't have as much superannuation to retire. So there is definitely something as a family, you agree on, you go, okay, we're going to do this and then we're going to split. Yeah. I'm now disadvantaged regardless of gender. Yeah. Should you not be have some money coming from the person that, that earned more, regardless of gender? Yes, yeah, I understand that. I think that's a good point. Thank you. Right? When you take the gender out yeah. of it, yes. Um, the difficulty is then making the decision as to whether that should be – how do you decide on that prior to the event happening? It's this. It's the, the mentality of, oh, we've got to ensure for every result before it actually happens. In the marriage system in Australia – uh, as a marriage celebrant, whenever somebody kind of says, oh, look, we'd like to get married, you go, great, you're going to sign your notice of intent. We give them that, and the law legislates that I have to give them this thing called a Form 42A, which is this piece of information about um, happily ever after, before and after. So it's information as to what might happen in the unlikely event that they might, or they might require marriage counselling, or how to prepare for a marriage. And, you know, in, in the old wow. religious systems, you'd go through like seven or eight weeks of marriage counselling. I don't remember signing that form when I got married. Is this a new uh, don't, thing? Don't, let's not put that on a public broadcast in case your celebrant <laughs> thing gets hurled in front of the, uh, the Attorney General's office okay, for that okay, one. So, and they should be a person that can provide you with that information. Now, the reason why that's important is it kind of makes this presumption that there's already a problem or I think it, it kind of highlights sometimes that there's going to be an issue. And Well, in, a, in, ca- in one in three cases there will be because there is a divorce right. rate of one in three. 100,000 people in Australia get divorced every year. We can't just get married and pretend this might not happen to us. Mm. True. That's absolutely true. So the difficulty then is that what is it that they're getting into and why they're getting into it? Firstly, all right, so we're here. And then how do you prepare for... To, to say that, well, I'm at a financial loss because I married you. You know, it's really tough, you know, if you've given up a particularly highly paid job or a career or you've done something like this. But then you can't start forcing blame on people for decisions that you've made when you don't know what the outcome's going to be. It's a really difficult situation. I don't to... think it's blame. I think it is you're being compensated well, for, for that for money is, is, says that there's a loss and that, that there's a problem, as therefore a, it has a, to be fixed as or remedied. As a family unit, when the family unit's no longer apart, yeah. you know, you've still got children that you're looking after. I think it's mm. very different if you don't have children. So, but if you're then looking after, you're both looking after the children, you've got the children's best interest, if they are going to be financially a lot, lot, lot worse off than you, then isn't that fair that they are financially compensated going off as two separate entities? The best of my understanding, having not been divorced, is that the people who go through these situations, they come up with alimony, isn't it? So you, you, you're given a money, a, a fee. There's, a, there's a like a, substa- a, a low legal requirement and if it, that and is very hard like to enforce. $40. It's like some people it's $40 a fortnight. Yeah. Like it is ridiculous. Um, but then... 
the best outcome is mediation. And before you even get to court, you have got to go to mediation. So mm. you've got to prove that you've been through mediation because services like Relationships Australia, which are means tested, have services available where you can sort all this stuff out of court. And then if you do go through the family court system, it is so expensive. Mm. And then only 5% of cases actually go to trial. So a lot of people do work this stuff out without going down that road, which is the good Mm. news. I think what's interesting as well in terms of what Angela, I guess, was arguing is that we don't tend to look at divorce and at the end of, a, of, you know, when your children have grown up as what men have lost out on. And I, you know, look, I have a problem with the idea that there are lots of men out there going, oh, I really don't want to go to work. I'd rather stay at home. I know there are men who want to do it, but there's not enough change in our world for enough men to say, I want to be the carer. I still think there is a stigma attached to being a stay-at-home carer for a male. And I that's what I think is interesting about this because I think what Angela is saying is she knows lots of men who subconsciously made the choice to go to work and have their partner stay at home. And now that their children are grown, they understand what they've lost, what they missed by yeah. not staying at home. And what I would love to see, I do think there's a relationship disadvantage, but I'd love to see men understand that when their children are still small. You and know, they're really hard work. And they're really hard work. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, my, I was raised in a, um, a, a split family and my dad was a primary carer in the 90s, which was really, really unheard of Super and very of. strange. And I used to get com- bitchy comments from the mums. Oh, your mum's never here because she's at work. Lucky your dad's here. All that stuff. I had it laid on thick all the time. And now that uh, my sister and I have grown up, my mum says, I am devastated. I missed out on so much. The guilt that I felt going to work all the time. I don't know if men feel that same sense of guilt. I might be being gender biased. I don't think that my husband feels guilty going to work. No, I, I probably would agree with that. But now... As the man in the room? Do you, yeah, but, yes. do you think that men feel guilty <laughs> going to work? I really don't. But now... We're bringing gender into it. Yes. So, so, so if we... <laughs> no, but I did that on purpose. Yeah, yeah. I, I get that. And if, in some respects, it's a really difficult thing to converse about because what happens invariably is when you do talk about these type of things, like I tried this conversation with Elaine last night. I said, so tell me about this. <laughs> with your wife. Well, that yeah. would have been fun. That's and, when we hand your podcast. Good chat. And yeah, that was like, ah, oh, is that the oh, time? This is awkward. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I better go now. Uh, and, you know, let's talk about opportunity costs. Yeah, I was a stay-at-home dad once and she was a stay-at-home mum. We've both done it. We've both you know, won and lost. Are there moments where I kind of look back and I go, you know, shivers. If I was actually working at that time, I'd be in a different situation. I go, yes. But at the same time, I go, but I wouldn't have what I have now. Yeah. And what I have now is a really different thing. And it's something I really enjoy and I love and it gives me a lot of self-fulfillment and I enjoy where I'm at. And, and Is that uh, work-wise or? Yeah, both. both. Yeah, and, and I may not, it, look, I may not be the person that, that provides everything for the, you know, the kid. We may not. You can't just open up the drawer and go, oh, there's a brand new phone because, yeah, that's what kids want. But at the same time, it's there's uh, a lot of kind of uh, delayed gratification. So understanding that you don't always have to be compensated for something that you've lost, but you can receive delayed gratification for what mm. you do. I still, I, I am still interested in what you think about Annalise's comment, not maybe yourself yeah. because you did stay at home, but generally amongst your peers who are male, mm. do you think there is a sense of guilt? You know, we talk about mother guilt. What do you time. say guilt? Like to guilt that they have to go to work or no, guilt no, that guilt they, they're leaving their children? Guilt yeah. that they're leaving the children. Yeah. Well, but it's, I've always said that this is a different understanding of what the relationship is 
with the children. Mm-hmm. That men have a different relationship with children because it's not it's seen more as a communicative thing where I I need to see that receptive communication really quickly. Whereas women being maternal have quite a, a different relationship with their children, so they understand nuances in that relationship. So they can. They you mean, can... mean like men find babies boring as a general rule? Well, it's that. Uh, well, and they, don't, they, you know, they they yeah. don't tend to not have that connection as quickly. That's true, yeah. and yeah, you know, they don't go a, a, they as don't a general go, rule. Oh, they're not smiling at. They're not doing this. They're not giving me. Yeah. The, where's the reaction that I'm expecting on the Hollywood film? There's certainly a different relationship, and uh, you know, um, do men understand that better? Probably not. Are they going to understand it? It's going to take a generational change. And do you think that men are now more aware of what they can get out of being at home with kids? I've spoken to men who do, but I don't know if it's a general yeah, rule. I don't think so. I don't think they get it. Yeah. I think I think some... The, the problem is that a lot of blokes are still in the dark ages. Well, women are still in the dark ages. There are a lot of people that are still in a place where... Yeah, I always like to say, the world is greater west of Taylor Square. Yeah, there's in Sydney, and Sydney's a great, Taylor Square's a great point because there's this hot pot of kind of cultures and diversity, and there's so much going on. And the inner city is really good. And then suddenly you get outside the cities and you go, oh, people don't think like me. And that's, that's absolutely true. So there's, there's a lot of change that has to happen. It can't just happen in one spot. Mm. I think it's about how we raise our boys as well. Like, that's a huge thing, I think, of being, yeah. being a mum of boys and, and making sure that they express their emotions and they, they're nurturing and they're caring. I think that, yeah, it's the way we're raising the next generation. Raising boys, the way we raise the boys, absolutely. Yeah. And important. role modelling is huge in that too. I mean, yeah. my husband spent a lot of time at home with both of our kids and like I can see the benefit for both of them in that. And hopefully my son will be able to grow up and go, if I have kids, I want to spend time with them. And I think it'll be a lot easier for him than, I don't think it's easy for men to change. No. Toddy, have you read um, Steve Bidoff's work on, on raising yes. boys? So that, that's fascinating. And that, st- that kind of really, more men need that. So when you go to an antenatal class, let's, Great to learn how to put on the nappy. That's fine. And again, another government thing that you have to do to get you ticked off before you have your baby. But why don't we start talking about how to communicate to children properly? Yeah. He, and his, his book, um, The New Manhood as well, yeah, is right. really important to read for any man. And then if you've got sons raising boys, but for any men at all, uh, The New Manhood by Ooh. Steve Biddle. Yeah, I, 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 I Life changing, both for my husband and my dad. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to look for that. Maybe I'll put a link in the notes. Yeah. Yeah. Mummy wine time. Is it a harmless release at the end of a hard day or do we have a problem? Most of them came back and said the reason that they drank was because they wanted to gain more confidence, because they needed a way of relaxing. And when they provided further commentary, it was all about the, you know, how difficult motherhood can be. And alcohol is a, you know, a very fast way for some to just instantly relax. That was Mim Jenkinson speaking on Feed, Play, Love about her book, Less Wine, More Time. And her book was a memoir about her experience with alcohol as a mum and how it became a problem over time for her. And she believes that there is a culture of mums uh, drinking wine and that things like the memes that are posted about mummy wine time normalise the more unhelpful aspects of this behaviour. Annalise, do you think there's a culture of drinking among mums in Australia and is it problematic or quite normal? First of all, I think there's a problematic culture of drinking in Australia, which is parents, men, women, 
I feel like it's not so much millennials. The research shows they're more into synthetic drugs, but in terms of Excellent. people in their thirties and, <laughs> and and so forth, it's more that the alcohol is a problem. So I do think there's a problem in Australia with our culture, with with the mummy wine time thing. I think the problem is when you start drinking alone, and that's the thing. If you're with young kids and you're isolated and you're drinking alone, that's when the unhealthy patterns can start. So. I think that socially we have a problem with alcohol, but I think unhealthy patterns like alone drinking can be problematic. And I've definitely, I, I've had problems with it. I've I've had to put rules in place. I don't drink Monday to Thursday at all, not even a drop. I've had to think about how many drinks I'm having on the weekends because I have struggled with it. I have fallen into really unhealthy patterns before. Um, Chris, what do you see? I mean, I'm, I know we're talking about women. I'm happy to extend it to men as well. But in terms of parenthood, do you think we have an issue with drinking too much? I, I agree first and foremost that culturally we have a problem with drinking. We don't understand. that That's an Australian thing. And <clears throat> you go to things like you know, people go, oh, but I've been to Oktoberfest and I've watched the Germans drink. Well, culturally, it's a very different place. And it's how the they, binge drinking, isn't binge it? binge drinking. That's and, the, the thing that Australians do more than other cultures. Europeans, yeah. you know, when I was in Croatia, over a period of a six-hour lunch, they'd have two glasses, the men. And I was like, looking at my glass, looking around. But it's it's, yeah. it's really different. They, they don't get drunk. Though, then again, I saw your Instagram feed while you are on in Croatia. Well, that was not around family. <laughs> that was just me and my sister who are Australian <laughs> having Aperol Spritz. <laughs> oh, I like an Aperol Okay, well, there you've, yes. there you've raised two things. Mm. So firstly, I want to get to the Aperol Spritz in a second. <laughs> Um, the first thing is, yes. So there was a, a survey uh, like a, done the National Institute of Alcohol in, in the States in 2017, which analysed what behaviours between like 2001 and 2013. And they saw a, maybe a 20% increase in the, in, in the prevalence of alcohol, especially within dependency within women. So first and foremost, yes, there's been an increase. Men certainly know how to, and it kind of relates a little bit back to what we were talking about before. Because if you think about the the culture of our men, well, men kind of like if they're the, the bread winner in the house, so to speak. Let's go a bit, you know, mm-hmm. old 50s, school, yeah. yeah. And you go, oh, okay, so they go to work and they come back at seven o'clock and they crack open a beer. Well, that's kind of not deemed as being a wine issue. Whereas for women, if they are, you know more incorporated into, let's say, the returning of school, primary school kids. They come home, they're home at three, and they're having dinner by five, and uh, might be relaxed time by five, so they're already two hours ahead of, of the man, so they crack open a wine. Within a primary school environment that I was involved in, that was quite prevalent, and seeing the number of women who were dependent on alcohol was frightening. And When you say dependent, what do you mean? Uh, they would have maybe two or three drinks a day, and you could see the changes that were happening, you could... Two or three. Yeah. Like two two drinks a day is all oh, we right. We don't drink during the week either. We're, we're, I know, but two standard drinks a day is okay with a, a meal. Yeah, but a standard... It's when you, go, yeah, yeah. when you go more... You know what I mean? <laughs> you though? and I but look you, at a standard drink. Yes. They go a standard drink. Okay, so you're talking about like a bottle, or, a bottle a day. Well, no, no, no. But they have... What they say is two drinks, right? Yeah. And then, but they don't define what the drink is. They don't measure out 150 mils. Yeah. They define a drink as filling up the glass. I'll have one and then I'll have one more. Uh, There was a parent at a school that we were involved in that got a DUI charge after dropping the kids off at school in a 40 zone. And they said, the statement was that the last drink that they had was 11.30 the night before. And their blood alcohol level showed that they couldn't possibly have been... Have, have waited 12 hours or, or you know, seven mm. hours with the consumption of alcohol. They definitely. Mm. So 
alcohol is definitely a problem, whether it comes to stress and depression, that all happens. The second bit is the Aperol spritz. The pinking of alcohol in the last 15 years has been designed specifically from a marketing tool to appreciate and to attract women into drinking. I've got to say that ad works very well on I me. I love Aperol spritz. But it's not just that. It's everything. It's, just, yeah. it's, the, yeah. it's pink this, pink that, pink gin, pink bubblies, pink omni. Pink Unicorn there. vodka. Yeah. Have you seen that? Yes. Ready to drink. Glitter in it. Oh, that's, yeah. that's cute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you had me at Annalise. Yeah, you yeah. But, drink it. And, and that's really sad. Yeah. And that's the bit that's really tough. So I, I'm with you in, in, in not drinking during the week. We don't drink during the week. We don't drink actually in front of the, we kind of limit drinking in front of the children. Oh, I wish I did that, but we, no. no so it's, well, the reason we do that is because we don't want them to feel that that's a dependent thing, you know. Well, I think it's, I do think it's interesting because um, with everything with parenting or life, I just think go for moderation, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I find this topic really interesting because I love a beer at the end of the day. That is my way to relax. I probably only have one, but I've got nothing to judge it against, whether that's extreme or not extreme. If not I have, extreme. If, if I have two, you have to put me to bed because I've got oh, very low tolerance. Gosh. <laughs> she's a Cadbury kid. She's, she's Total cad- You'd be perfect for the Christmas <laughs> what party. What a cheap date. <laughs> my shout. Very yeah, cheap my date. Shout, yeah. But we'll the point out. being that if the conversation I feel around parenting and this kind of thing... Um, I think we need to take into account the intelligence of adults because it needs to be nuanced. We need to appreciate that there are women who are drinking in the morning who have uh, us possibly struggling um, or mm. who've fallen into a, some kind of alcohol dependency that's not helpful, whether it's related to mental health or not. There's that. Then there are people who would like a drink in the afternoon to relax and there's that. And I think sometimes we get to this place, like when I spoke to Mim, um, her story was very raw and real. And she interviewed about a thousand women and asked how they felt about their relationship with alcohol. They were all mums. And what she said at the top there was what she found is that it was about confidence. It was about isolation. And that worries me. That does worry me. But then I think we still need to not tar everyone with the same brush and that you can yeah, drink right. in moderation Absolutely. if you... Yeah, and it's about mums... self-checking yourself because, like I said, I've struggled with it and that's why I have to have rules Yes, because yeah. I was drinking every day and I did have to say, when I went and sat with my GP and I said, I, I need to change this for my health. Do you think mums, because if I, if I do it on the basis of a survey of two schools that I can, I can picture right now and I see the number of mums that drop off kids and, and go and get them at the end of school. So, so it's a very mum-heavy culture yes. with the interaction with the children. And I don't think that's an uncommon assumption around Australia. No. Just looking at that, do you think there should be, whereas where mums had the opportunity to have a mother's club, like a, you know, with the kids when they were babies, it's for kids to interact and mums to be able to just have downtime, you know, over a Tim Tam and a cup of coffee at the local, you know, church yes. hall. Do you think there's the chance now that that's a problem that needs to be solved where, where mums need to get together and say, you know what, uh, you're at, you could be in your mid-30s or 40s, you could have young kids, depression is a thing, you know, you anxiety is a thing, you you feel that you probably aren't achieving what you want, you probably feel like you're in a rut and life is and you have one glass and then you feel great, and then you have two and then you put on weight and your skin gets bad and your hair gets bad. Oh, this go- is depressing. I know, no, where we're going. This, yeah, I know. But then is that the point? I need is, a wine number. <laughs> is that the point though, that you, we try and encourage a, a mm. community where mums get together and go Without okay, alcohol. Yeah, without alcohol and support that and say, you know what? 
that let's let's be a part of this together well, and form a stronger back, fabric. It comes back to that idea. I think about how my mum um, was when we were kids, and that we lived in a street with a reserve out the back. And when we were small, and even when we were in primary school, mum had a network of friends that were in a similar case to her. And I don't know because I've always worked, and my both my kids are at school now. And I probably live in an area where both parents do have to work. So I don't know how much that community still exists. But I remember looking back and seeing how my parents used to live. And that sense of community was very much there. I don't think they would have felt as isolated being a stay-at-home parent. Mums have that community. It's online. They do yeah, Facebook groups, which unfortunately, if when it's with strangers, and then it becomes toxic and everyone's nasty to each other. They're mm. nasty no. online. Oh, yeah. I, yes. Oh. Toxic. No wonder why everyone's drinking, everyone's <laughs> typing and crying and drinking wine. And, oh. <laughs> and then they make it a meme. <laughs> <laughs> okay, our final topic in just a moment. The most stressful thing you've done with your kids that was meant to be enjoyable. So my daughter, Darcy, recently turned eight. She's a leap year baby, so I thought I have avoided big parties up till now. But I I am going to make an effort this time. And I was very pleased with myself because she loves rollerblading. I organized a roller skating party. There are no roller rinks in, our, in probably the whole of Sydney. So we had a place where they hire out a hall. Um, she had the time of her life, but my God... I was so stressed because basically I thought, uh, so it was out um, in the sort of inner west of Sydney. We were coming from the east, had not factored in the traffic. So we got there right when the party was meant to start. Mm. Husband left to get ice. All the parents were already there. I had said, right. And then there was one person, one roller skating person from the company for 15 children um, who could not skate. And so... Yeah, no one can skate anymore. No, but they looked at me and then I, I looked around and then he, the, the, the um, person hosting the party said, started talking to the parents saying, okay, stand up in front of them. And so the parents, all the parents had to be involved with helping their children learn to skate. And I had told them, just drop and run. You're you know? the least favourite parent at the school. Right. Now. So Seriously. that So it wasn't... You understand, Annalise, it wasn't just the stress of going, oh. how am I going to organise this? It was the stress of thinking that all your parent friends will hate you. Oh, totally. I would be hating you. Yeah. Like, and on a Saturday, like you're there and you're, you're holding some of the roller skate and you thought you'd be able to go get to a the, mani the pedi. And, so know. much judgy. Oh, no, but no. they were. And the thing is that all these parents were gorgeous, lovely people, but I could just see the annoyance on yeah, their face. The gritted teeth. And then because um, one of my girlfriends had brought her three kids because I'd said, oh, you know, your younger one can join in and then you can go off with your oh, son. No. So she's I there. I a line on that one. No, no. But I was there with her little one because she couldn't do two. And every time I looked up from her to check everyone was okay, a child was falling on their ass, right? So I'm looking around and then my son's like, I don't want to skate and I'm feeling bad for him. And then Daniel's not back with the ice yet and then the food. and So I was so stressed out. Darcy and all her friends apparently had an awesome time. This sounds like a really shit version of Starlight Express. (laughs) (laughs) You don't remember what happened in Starlight Express, do you? No, I don't actually There was a lot of bullying. Oh, don't don't do that. No, that just ruined the joke. Well, don't call me out on musicals, buddy. There's a pro here. So, Chris, what is the most stressful thing you've done with your children that was meant to be enjoyable? Oh, every Christmas ever. 
Really? <laughs> See, yeah. I imagine it's me, the North household's very calm. They all sit around reading, you know, Harry Potter, tri- like all the series together, and have book week oh, readathons. You, you need to come over. Why board games? <laughs> board games, Monopoly, <laughs> board games. Yeah. So what? Yeah. What happens Green on Christmas? Tea. I just yeah. Why is Christmas? Oh, so I stressful? hate it. I get so. Do you have stressed. family over, or is it just your immediate family? Um, I think it's 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 me. It's not, it's seriously, You're the it's, it's me. I'm, it's a thing about understanding ideas and expectations. And I think for years, my biggest problem has been where, when these events happen, I just get so frustrated. I'm like, well, you don't like, or you don't appreciate, or this is, and I make it my problem. Right. Uh, so they're not appreciating all the effort you've gone to. Well, sometimes or? Oh, I'm not looking at it the right way. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thinking that there's. Or if, for example, I was in your situation where I go, "Oh, this is terrible," and people are hating it, and I'd be, I'd be the one taking that really personally. It's more about my reaction to it than anything else. So your reaction and to so, their reaction, yeah, it's your and it's, it's my issue. And so, isn't it? I'm thinking about all the childhood triggers that are mm, yeah. the trauma that he's reliving, yeah. Yeah. going. There. So my New okay. Year's resolution was let the chaos happen. <laughs> nice. So That's a good resolution. My New Year's resolution was let the chaos happen. So <laughs> now. Mm. I kind of find that things that should be really fun as stressful, I kind of go, meh. Don't care. I don't care anymore. Okay. I'm not sure if I like that resolution. I just want you to enjoy them. Grinchy. We'll, we'll check in with you after this Christmas. <laughs> Annalise, what's the most... kill somebody after this Christmas. <laughs> what's the most enjoy and most stressful moment that was meant to be enjoyable? My kids get really car sick, both of them. Good times. Good times. So road trips are really fun. And my husband had organised to meet friends from Melbourne in a central location between Melbourne and Sydney, but had to be on the coast. So that's Marimbula. So I was like, yeah, great, Marimbula. And then when we were like organising when to go, because I was like, okay, I've got to get the, the travel sickness drugs. I, it was a six-hour drive. I was like, and that's not stops. That's six hours flat knacker to Marimbula. And I was like, that is a full day of travel. I'm only going there for four days. That's two days in the car okay anyway so the trip there was lots of complaints and and i i think there was only one vomit so it was all right but i can't we can't do ipads we can't they can't watch anything there's they just get sick and complain the whole time got to the holiday rained the entire time it's in (laughs) december summer holiday rained the entire time so we're stuck inside the people we met from Melbourne had gastro. Oh God! So then, on why the did they come? Two days. Well, they didn't. They got there, and then everyone started getting sick. So two days later, when we were leaving for our, another full day of travel in the car, not only were the kids car sick, they were developing gastro. Oh my! So God. I was sitting in the back with buckets and just catching vomit oh. all six hours plus. Annalise, you poor thing. And then, honestly, my husband's like, "We should do this every year." <laughs> We have never done it since. <laughs> what tip? Don't do it. Never oh again. Oh my God, never that again. sounds horrific. Worst holiday. It really was. great friends, but never again. Never Rina. again. The rain, the gastro, the vomit. I really chose a downer for a last topic, didn't I? <laughs> Let's go on an upper and talk about your latest podcast yes, before it's a, you go. It's a very, it's a very <laughs> up topic. It's, it's called Divorce Story. It's about surviving oh, h- separation. Hilarious. <laughs> That's great segue, Shiv. Yeah, I wasn't really. I was just going, you've got a new podcast. That's great. Oh, shit, it's about divorce. But you know what? And there is, it, it is very dark and raw and we talk to psychologists and it's very much about the feelings and then there's the nitty-gritty with the solicitors and the legal aid and the financial experts. But there's also, we try and do find the fun, the light, the shade. You know, we talk to a sexologist about getting back on the horse and dating apps and exploring that world. And so there are really beautiful, fun moments and... um 
Yeah, it's it's had we had two episodes out and it's had a really great response. And yeah, I think it's a great podcast. I don't think I could date again. I've, Elaine and I've always said that. Like, how would you date after? Like, well, you know, you just how would you do it? Got to. Chris, have you got any weddings that are coming up? Any excited well, going overseas? I think the last Anyone t- flying you oh, away? The last time we chatted, I was uh, I was I was telling you how I'd been booked for a wedding in Taiwan. Yes, and then um, and then COVID 19s hit. Uh, which is oh, really interesting, no. but I'm still booked to go. You're still going? <laughs> yes, oh my I, lord! And you, there's no masks left now. So I'm I'm on the hesitant list. I'm on the not on the standby list. I'm on the hesitant list of going. Do I really need to? Mm. Should this really be? You know, should this really be happening? I don't know that it should. No. Stay tuned for whether Chris North survives <laughs> his trip to Taiwan. <laughs> Chris North and Annalise Todd do a podcast together. I've changed my name. Oh, sorry. Oh, okay. What? He called me Annalise Todd. Oh, because that's a maiden name. Sorry. Oh, dear. Okay. Well, on that note. Old days. Thank you both for coming in. Thanks. It's been a joy. Do you need some more material for your podcast? (laughs) 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 I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you next week. You've been listening to The Parent Panel, a babyology podcast, hosted and produced by me, Siobhan Hunt. For more information on the show or to check out other episodes with equally funny and insightful guests, you can find all you need at our website, babyology.com.au forward slash parent panel.